0: Going to be doing things slightly differently this morning. Um, uh, I'm going to be sharing um, in 10 or 15 minutes, um, uh, so it'll be a bit shorter this morning. But what we thought we'd love to do this morning, we'd love to hear from uh, a few people in our church who um, are part of some charities that you've maybe heard us talk about before. They've kind of been birthed out of our heart as churches in the wider kind of Lurgan Portadown area. And uh, and so we wanted just to give a little bit of profile to those this morning, so you can know what's going on, that you can pray for them, um, because both of them really carry the heart of God, and uh, and so we'd love you to be able to pray for them and maybe even consider giving to them. Um, but um, so this is we're going to hear from the work of Aspar um, and also the work of Reach, and uh, and so these are just a wonderful opportunities to get involved in the life of young people in our town. Um, and the wider city of Craigavon. Is that okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. So Andrew McGuire is going to come first and talk a little bit about the SPAR, and then Kate uh, Dawson and Johnny Hampton are going to come and tell us a little bit about Reach. All right. Well, so why do to we give uh, Andrew a warm round of applause, let him, before he shares with us. Go for it, Andrew.
1: Thank you. As Ali said, I'm Andrew. Um, I, I'm a youth worker in Portadown, and I work for an organisation called the SPAR. Um, so who is Aspire? Aspire um, was set up in two thousand sixteen as a response to the to the need that we saw within education. Um, education isn't fair, as some of you may already be aware. If you're aware of the work that we do, um, and so I just want to highlight some of the things that we do today and how we do those. Am I doing something wrong here? Um, we Aspire exists to work with children in Northern Ireland in poverty to help close the edu- educational attainment gap that exists between rich and poor. Um, Aspire was founded because the real issues um, that are happening are happening within our society, within Northern Ireland, within Kerr within Portadown and Lurgan. Children from disadvantaged backgrounds aren't doing as well in school as those young people from better off families. And we'll explore this in a wee second. We're a faith-driven charity um, based in Avon that work with l- local youth workers um, and churches to provide free services uh, for children from lower-income families. <laughs> These are the three things we do. Um, we provide sessions. We go into schools um, after school. And we offer support for young people, both as youth workers, um, sometimes the, the, the lines sometimes merge a wee bit, we're sometimes youth workers, we're sometimes parents, we're sometimes teachers, just depending on what the young people are doing that day. Um, we offer supervised and supportive environments for kids within schools. We provide facilitators who encourage uh, young people and support them with their education. And we are mainly youth workers from different churches, which enables us to integrate young people into the local church. Our young people are provided with laptops, resources, and refreshments. And every month we make—I was a wee bit surprised by this—three thousand six hundred cups of hot, hot, like hot tea, coffee, hot chocolate, and three hundred and sixty punnets of grapes. A lot of grapes. Um, A spare tuition is for young people that are struggling in a subject. What we do is we work with local youth workers and volunteers from our churches and from our youth programs um, that are trained or have qualified in a particular subject, so that might be science, that might be geography, and they come into school and offer free tuition to these young people. (coughs) Tuition is really expensive if you're a parent and you'll know that the cost you have to pay, and so a lot of our young people, majority of our young people cannot afford tuition, so we're able to offer that for free for them which goes a long way. Um, I'm so glad these are numbered. Um, And Aspire activities, what we do is we uh, engage with churches and we create a space where kids can come and learn um, in a fun and interactive way. A lot of the time they don't know they're learning, but they are sneaky. Um, We have, uh, at the moment, yesterday, we had our first day of Campus Aspire. So what we do is we run... Three sessions before the summer, where young people from different uh, backgrounds within the community come, and they're able to, uh, they're able to learn from each other. They're able to learn about different cultures and all that kind of stuff. And so last year we had twenty-eight young people from different schools across Portadown, Larne, and And in the summer we had a five-day camp up at the north coast. Here we invited. Um, local youth workers um, from both sides of the community to come and to share what does it actually mean to be a Catholic, what does it actually mean to be a Protestant, and what does it actually mean to be a Christian that doesn't associate with either side of these? And so for our young people, their eyes were actually very much open to the fact that, oh wait, to be a Catholic isn't just a society thing and to be a Protestant isn't just a thing I am because of my parents. During the, the week, we had three young people become Christians, and as we went into glue and the, the days after, we had eight young people give their lives to Jesus. Um, and that was out of 24. This year, we have 60 young people, and so we're expecting God to move again, um, which is really exciting. Um, a lot of our work is done in schools with these young people. Um, however, behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. We're also involved in researching the issues of child poverty and are part of uh, the End Child Poverty Coalition, Um, We're up there with the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is pretty cool. Um, Every month on our website, we publish papers based on research and statistics gathered um, by different organizations uh, looking into Northern Ireland and how child poverty is affecting the young people in our uh, communities. Um, These are the schools we're part of. I'll not go through them. You can see them. We've just started in primary schools, which is really exciting, Um, and we're seeing a lot of stuff. In Portadown, we work in the Senior High St. John's College and Killicameham. We want to go further, we want to impact more schools, and we want to be able to engage more young people in our program. The moment we have about 100 young people, and we want to be able to grow that. Two years ago, we had four in in one school, which is a mad leap, um, but it's quite exciting. Um, And we're being requested by schools to come in and to um, reproduce what we're already reproducing, or what we're already doing in other schools. And so um, we need support for that, and we also um, need funding. So we'll chat about about that in a second. Um, I have a video for you. In the video, all the children have the same aspirations. Um, statistically, by the age of 11, um, children will start to change their aspirations and their dreams based on their uh, family income. There are currently 1,000... No, 100... And, I struggled with this this morning. 103,400 children living in poverty in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's about one in four kids. About nine out of, eight or nine out of every 30 kids in a classroom are living in poverty. Poverty is 60%, if a family's living, 60% below... The national living um, standard, absolute poverty is if kids, if they have, they're basically one, one fridge breaking down, going into poverty, uh, being out in the streets. Um, 6,082 of these young people live in Krograven area, that's Lurgan, Portadown, Krograven itself, and out of these um, 6,082 young people who struggle, um, a- academic, um, academically struggling is their biggest thing. We don't think this should be a thing. We don't think there should be poverty within Northern Ireland. um, And this is the heart of a spar to eradicate poverty within education. Um, We work with 100 young people. And out of these 100 young people, we're able to provide space, time, and resources for them to get their homework done. 80% of the church um, has a university level education, um, which is massive. Um, 33% of pupils eligible for free school meals achieve at least 5 a star to c grades or flip that around nearly 70 percent of kids on free school meals will not get the gcse levels that they need to be able to progress into further education or, or an adequate workspace which is mad and um, if you're born in a disadvantaged home you're unlikely to go to church and school will be more difficult if you go to church you're likely to have money and education but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does god's love abide in him this isn't just a wee verse to get you your heart um pull on your heartstrings. Uh, this is the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom is is to see poverty and to see injustice eradicated. We want to see the kingdom of God infiltrate our schools, but to do that we need to we need to first deal with the injustices we want to partner with you we are not the church nor do we want to be the church if we become the church we can we stop doing what we do and so this is why we're partnering with churches all across portadown lard and Craig-Avon to see um young people engaging um here what does our churches look like if our if our young people start coming here what does it look like if our kids that i am um, are struggling with substance abuse come into our church we want to prepare the church for what happens whenever the church starts to tackle injustice and so, just to finish, we we need partners, um, and we we don't want to be um, we don't shy away from that. We need people to partner with us because we need to keep doing the work that we're doing. And so, I'm gonna be down the back at the wonky banner, and um, that I tried to get straight. And if you want to come and have a chat, come and have a chat with me. We need people to pray. We need. Um, That's the most important thing. We need you to be praying for us. We need you to be praying for the young people that we're engaging with every single week. And we need you to be praying for the young people that are giving their lives to Jesus. Um, We need people that are going to come around them as they come into church. Uh, We need financial um, resources. We don't have any funding streams. And so all of our money comes from churches, individuals, and businesses. If you are in a place that you can financially give, we would love to have a chat with you around that, whether it's 10, 20, or whatever you can give. And we also need tutors. If you fall into that category of the 80% that has a university degree or has A-levels, come and have a chat with me. We would love to have a conversation around how you can come into schools and offer your ability um, in those places. Um, and Yeah, if, if anything I've said this morning, um, how sporadic it's been, uh, resonates with you, come and have a chat um, with me at the end. Thank you.
0: Well done, Andrew. Great stuff. So I, I should have said actually at the start, as a church, we do um, support Aspar and um, Reach One guys, both um, in Lurgan and Portadown. So part of the offering that comes in on uh, monthly, we uh, we support these guys. So it's great to, to see them as as partners. We obviously, come to our church as well. So it's lovely the way it's all entwined. And uh, and so as. Um, Andrew has talked a little bit about the work of Aspire and helping specifically within the area of education to try and up the standard of living and help young people become empowered to make good choices. Um, along similar lines but slightly different, we have uh, the work of REACH. Let's give Johnny and Kate a round of applause as they share sure as well, can we? <clears throat>
2: Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity just to share a little bit about the work of REACH this morning. Uh, Some of you may have heard about REACH, some of you may not. Uh, If you're like my dad, he continually still asks me, what is it again you do, son? So I'm going to take a couple of seconds just to explain what REACH is and what we do. Uh, This might work. Anyway, uh, just to give you a bit of background, probably around 15... Oh, there we go good stuff, around 15 years ago or so, youth workers based in Lurgan were working a lot into Lurgan Junior High School, uh, including Alan and Rick Preston, some of you may know as well, and they were going into school, they were taking assemblies, taking classes, different things, and the school realised that the local youth workers from the churches in the local area uh, had a really good rapport with these young people, that they're really good role models that uh, the young people related to them really well. And what happened over time was Lurgan Junior High School realised actually that some of their pupils could just do with someone and a space each week that they could share just what's going on. The ups and downs of life, whatever was was happening, whatever wasn't happening, and a really good positive influence on them. And it was around this time that all the youth workers in Lurgan that were involved with going into Lurgan Junior High School decided that anything we will do, we'll do it under this banner of REACH. And we'll come together and, and do it like that. Uh, probably around five, four and a half, five years ago, myself and Rick Preston were, were chatting about the work that was continually going on in Lurking Junior High School uh, under this banner of reach. And, and we both realised I come from an education background. Rick was uh, working in a church at the time. We decided that, you know what, there was a real, real need for this in our local community. There was a real need for our young people to have a really positive influence in them. We're very blessed in this area that we have brilliant schools and brilliant support for our young people. But it stretched, and we realised that actually how, uh, Impactful would it be if the young people throughout our local community had a Christian person that spent time with them each week that threw the arm around them and journeyed with them and provided them with that support each week So around four and a half years ago eh, we, we stepped out of our jobs and, and we created eh, or got our charity status and REACH became a charity eh, What we do then the, the ins and outs of, of what we do that REACH partners with local schools throughout Lurgan, Portadown and Craigavon area uh, we work with young people from a variety of backgrounds and issues. Uh, our young people are brilliant that we work with, but the school, that, the schools that we work in refer young people, uh, initially that was for behaviour, uh, they were asking us to come in and work with kids that maybe were disengaging from education because of behaviour, but over time uh, we, uh, we're working in schools and really providing that early intervention for pupils that maybe are facing difficult life circumstances outside of school and inside school. Uh, Maybe there are situations that have arisen in life that are just real barriers and tough for them to journey through at that time. It can maybe be their self-esteem and worth and how they see themselves. Uh, It could be just maybe socially settling into school, maybe the transition from one school to another. Lots of these things that can impact young people. Uh, And what REACH does is that we bring in a group of trained mentors into school into our schools and work alongside uh, the school pastoral care system and work with these young people. Uh, there, there's real simplicity, actually, to what REACH does. We uh, we basically go into our schools, like I've said, we take our team of trained mentors and we just spend time with our young people. Uh, there's no magic formula to this. We do this because we know and we want to follow the example of Jesus. We, we read in the Bible continually of how Jesus spent time with people, how he sat at the table with people how he sat and he he looked at them in you know in the eyes and he shared his life with them he asked them about what was going on he journeyed with them he opened up his life and he invested in them and for us at REACH we believe that this can have a huge huge impact on our young people as they go through the roller coaster of life eh, and all these things going on we believe that spending uh, having a Christian person that goes into schools that mentors and spends time with a young person can have a huge huge impact. Eh, as I said, mentoring is, is a huge, huge part of what we do in this one-to-one relationship within schools. What we also do is we provide personal development classes, and that is, if you want to imagine the megaphone, that's getting our message out to the entire school uh, year group, uh, the Mentoring is the whisper, the arm around the shoulder and the whisper. And uh, But this idea of the personal development class has actually been able to share with the entire school year group. Uh, we work through different things like values with the, the different classes that we work with, things like choices and decisions, uh, work with self-esteem, how they view themselves, maybe setting goals and ambitions and different things in life. And we feel that, again, getting the opportunity to speak into an entire school year group can be huge. And for us, it's a huge, huge uh, privilege for this. Currently, Reach are working in the 26 schools across the ABC council area, across Portown, Lurgan and Craigalvin. We are mentoring uh, approximately 340 young people a week uh, where we get the opportunity to be able to to sit and... um, that idea, like I say, of just sitting across the table, I've been able to, to journey alongside and speak positively into the lives of 340 young people each week. And for us, that's a huge, huge privilege, and we really give thanks to God for the journey that we've been able to come on in these past four and a bit years. I'm just going to hand over to Kate, and she's going to uh, share with you a little bit more before I finish.
3: Yep, so I am Kate, and I'm one of the coordinators for Reach. Um, so I'm going to just tell you a wee bit about what I see and and some of the hardy stuff of, of Rich. Um, we actually just started, um, I'm a coordinator in Portadown area, and we've just started in Ballyorn Primary School, which is just around the corner from here, so it's really exciting. Um, the likes of Hart Memorial, Millington, Bacambra, Portadown College, Tanaka Junior High School, I probably missed one, there's some, something else in there. But oh, a lot of the kids that I uh, that I work with each week, they don't have the luxury of just a stable family environment. And even those that do, um, there's this running theme of just like missing connection. Um, so these kids don't have the ability to initiate just communication or the families don't have the ability to initiate communication. So really simply what we're doing is we're creating this culture of just weekly check-in, weekly communication, that openness and expression is healthy and normal and um, and y- you know, half of all mental health issues are manifested by the age of 14, so like what Johnny said, we're an early intervention service and what we do is very, very simple. It's the power of relationship um, to be a preventative measure um, for these mental health issues that are rising with kids. Um, 94% of teachers have seen a rise in pupils presenting with mental health issues over the last five years. Um, so. You know, again, Johnny says this is simple, and it is, and I've seen the power of it. I've had teachers come to me and say, what are you doing with these kids? and we're just, we're there, we're there every week, we are consistent, we engage in conversation, whether that is they want to tell you, like, how many different coloured icing was on their birthday cake this week, or their trampoline, or something really difficult is going on at home, or they feel really anxious about something, and um, many of the times, reach are the first point of contact when a child is disclosing something that needs to be addressed, It needs to be passed on as a child protection issue, and that maybe seems scary, but that is just, that that makes me feel like what we're doing and we're doing the right thing. You know, we are that first point of contact for these kids, um, and so you know we want to be able to continue uh, the work of Reach as it is vastly expanding, and we want to continue to provide a free service for schools. Um, to do to do the things that the schools just simply don't have the capacity to do anymore, and you've heard the term "it takes a village." Um, in this case, what we're asking is, we're calling on churches and businesses and families to to be able to provide this service that our kids so desperately need. And um, so, I'll pass you on to Johnny, who's going to tell you what that's what that looks like.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, how can you help? Uh, what I love about REACH is that it it doesn't just happen with a small group of people uh, doing all the work all the time. Uh, REACH is a vehicle for the local church, for our local communities, for people to jump on board, to be able to help out with. And there's lots of different ways that people uh, can help out. The three main ways, what we'd, what we'd love to, to share with you this morning are, first of all, pray. Everyone can pray. What we do at REACH doesn't work or can't happen without the power of prayer. Without people coming and praying for the young people that we're working with, praying for the organization and the upkeep of it uh, and the running of it, of praying for our local schools and our communities and uh, that our young people are growing up in. So pray is the, is the first thing. Uh, volunteer uh, is, is another big thing. REACH uh, engages around around 40 to 50 volunteers on a weekly basis. That can be from lots of different things, from signing up to be a prayer partner and being part of that life of, of helping uh, the, the prayer life continually uh, tick within reach. It can be through mentoring, through giving up a time each week to go and spend, be one of our trained mentors that spend time with the young people in our different schools throughout the week. Or indeed, there's uh, the monthly giving, like a... Uh, Kate has already mentioned. Uh, we are at the, at the point with Reach where uh, we're working across Port and Lurgan, Craig Alvin, and, and we believe that God's stretching the vision as well. We would love to be able to work into the Armagh and Banbridge areas as well. We'd love to be able to cover the ABC Council area. We'd love the ABC Council area where we all live and where we are part of to be known as a great place to bring our young people up. That they are going to have a positive Christian influence in their school and life and their day-to-day and someone that's going to walk the journey with them and uh, open up their lives and show Jesus to them. Uh, just a, a, I suppose we're trying to pull this together. Well, what does it cost or what does it mean to, to run uh, a, a new area for REACH? To cover 120 young people on a weekly basis uh, for mentoring one-to-one, it, it costs around £35,000 a year. Uh, like, like Kate has said, this uh, can involve everybody from lots of different uh, lots of different parts and walks of life. And for us, we are really, really privileged and really, really, uh, just means so much to be part of a church fellowship that does invest into REACH and into the work that's going on. Like we said, if... Uh, churches gathering together within the local communities that we're working in giving, uh, businesses gathering together to uh, invest financially into the work of REACH and individuals given 20 pounds a month can make such a huge huge impact into the work that we do and can help break this down and when you see figures like this i i, I can't but get excited and think that this is this is achievable this is this is brilliant but what we would love is you know, to to think over these things to think over a uh, praying for reach being part of your your uh, daily prayer routine if you want to sign up to be a prayer partner to come and see us at the end and uh, we send out usually every two to three weeks we send out a uh, some prayer points and different things that are going on that you can directly pray into. To volunteer, to be someone that that gives up time maybe to be part of that working of whether it's mentoring or being part of the... uh, the different things that go on within the work of reach, or if you can, to give financially, to be someone that signs up to give on a monthly basis to help the work of reach continue. But uh, thank you so much. If you would like to to chat to us at the end, Kate and I will will be about, or you can visit our our website as well. There's lots of different information and ways to to give there, or Facebook as well. But thank you so much uh, for the time this morning.
0: Well done. Superb stuff. It's great to hear, isn't it? Um, you, know, the, you know, listening to the guys I'm reminded of that verse: "The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed." You know, I remember when um, <clears throat> we started Reach about fifteen or sixteen years ago; it was just a mustard seed little dream. You know, could you, could you do something to help young people? I remember talking to Mark Knox when he was thinking about. He went and did all his research about you know child poverty in Northern Ireland, and did a PGCE and thought through really thoughtfully. But it was just a mustard seed dream. Now a hundred kids are getting help after school with their homeworks. You don't maybe often get that at home. <clears throat> We're really, really bad at telling our own stories in Northern Ireland, and particularly this part of the world. But there's 350 young people getting a one-to-one mentoring session every single week. I mean, like, if that's in other parts of the world, they write books about those things, and they sell them. But I just want us to clock that from 350 young people every week. And it's all supported by people who are given, businesses, churches, individuals. It's just a mustard seed. It's just a, just a mustard seed, and now 350 young people. And the schools are crying out. It's one of the best-kept secrets in Northern Ireland. Reach, to be honest, 350 young people giving, getting a one-on-one session with somebody who loves Jesus and loves them. It's not. It's not remarkable. It is remarkable, and uh, and God is doing great things, uh, in and through. And let's celebrate our own stories in the right way. Yeah, can we do that together more and more? So I'd love love us to do just before I just share a few thoughts this morning. Can we all stand to our feet? <clears throat> um, maybe Johnny. Where's Andrew? Andrew, can, you come up, can we come up over to this side here? Um, Johnny, if you come up here, and Kate, if you go down to the kind of back there, is that all right? Could a few people just um, gather around them, and let's just pray together for them before we move on. Is that okay? Just gather around. You might, might sense so a word or something for them. Let's just be the church. So Kate's at the back there as well. Um, Johnny's up here, and Andrew's here. <coughs> let's just take a few moments and pray. That's what we do in church, yeah? And Let's, let's, let's be the church together. And pray God's blessing on the work of reaching the spar. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Do a new thing, Jesus. Oh, my Jesus, do more, Lord, do more, do more, God. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you that you set the lonely in families, O God. And Father, we just thank you for both of these uh, amazing, Lord, works that flow out of your heart, Lord, from people who love you and have given up careers and jobs and other ambitions, O God, in order to serve God, the least and the vulnerable, God, and to uh, show your heart. Lord, we thank you, Lord, we've been reminded, Lord, of just how... um, impressionable young people are, how much is already formed in in these early years. And God, thank you for these works that are... uh Lord, engaging at that age and at that level. And we want to pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, your favor to be released upon reaching the God, we pray that you provide for every need. Father, we pray that you'd enlarge their hearts, so oh God, in the vision that you've given them. And Lord, we pray specifically for the young people that they get to interact with week on week. Lord, we pray for opportunities, O oh God, to show the love of Jesus. Father, we pray for more opportunities to have conversations about you. But Lord, we pray emotionally and spiritually and physically physically, Lord, and socially, God, that these young people would be developed, oh God, just by spending time with the volunteers and those who love you, God. We ask, oh God, for your spirit to be at work. Lord, we pray that the leaven would indeed leaven the whole lump. It would work its way right through, God, all the schools, oh God. We pray for more testimony, God, in schools, from principals and teachers and those in pastoral current churches of the work of your kingdom coming, oh God, through people, oh God, who are carrying your love and your presence, sitting across tables, helping people do their maths and their science homeworks, talking about what's going on at home, helping them develop friendships. Oh God, we just pray, Lord, your release of your kingdom, your kingdom power in and through, Lord Andrew and all at Aspire and Kate and uh, Johnny and all at reach for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God huge stuff. Take a seat, would you? Um, I'm going to share a few thoughts this morning um, that just follow on a bit from last week, but tie in hopefully with this morning. It's great just to hear some real life kind of case studies, if that's the way to put it, um, of God working and of some of the things that we long to see, and we've talked about seeing in the book of Acts actually happening on our watch. and We've uh, talked loads over the last number of weeks around Acts chapter 2, and uh, here, here we are again. We've covered the four different practices that the early church were devoted to, um, but they were this was all wrapped in and around with an attitude and a culture of generosity, okay? And I want us just to pick that up this morning. This is what it says. We've read this for the last number of weeks, so hopefully it will not become over-familiar. So, Holy Spirit, help us just as we open up your word this morning again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Okay, now we've looked at the four of those, the apostles' doctrine, the canonia, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And then it says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and giving favor with all the, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. They received their food with glad and generous hearts halfway down, all who believed were to gather in all things in common, selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. It seems to be when you read this scripture that the Spirit of God was living in these early Jesus followers so prominently that their lives mirrored the very life of Jesus. They couldn't keep what they had to themselves. Now, remember the way that we've tried to, I suppose the philosophy, if that's the way you put it, (laughs) that we have tried to build this teaching on is that the early church was connected to its founder. That's what we're trying to remind you of in this whole series, that all the stuff that sometimes gets added on to the gospel, right? We're kind of peeling all that back and going, these people... The early church, they walked in the way of Christ. And that's what Luke was trying to show us. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then it overlapped into the book of Acts to show us the way of Christ and His apostles, so that we then, which would provide a roadmap, if you like, for us to walk and to continue the cycle... Of walking in the way of Christ and his apostles. And we've looked, as I said, these four main ways that they were devoted to Jesus and expressed their love for Jesus and their commitment to the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine was the story of Jesus. It was the teachings of Jesus. It was the proclamation that Jesus was the Messiah, right? It wasn't necessarily all the other stuff that we've had. They were committed to that. They were committed to the way of Jesus, the story of Jesus. They were committed to prayer, praying like Jesus had taught them to pray. They were committed to one another in a one-mindedness and a one-heartedness. Um, and they were committed to the breaking of bread. But all of these four practices seem to be wrapped up with a culture of what I would call radical, radical generosity. And that's what I want us to get to today, the radical generosity of the kingdom. And um <clears throat> uh, when we think of it like that, and we think about the way we're teaching this series, we realize that they reflected the radical generosity of the founder. They they reflected the radical generosity of Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the full revelation of the Father, and He shows us what the Father's like. And we've already had glimpses, if if you read the Old Testament, of how God is a generous God. Okay? Um, I'm just going to skim through these, but these are Bible references in the Old Testament, a lot of them in the Psalms, that declare something of the generosity of God, His generosity in creation itself, in making the world, in inviting humanity into His love. You visit the earth and you cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless it with growth. You've crowned the year with your bounty and your past drip with fatness, right? So we have words like overflowing, abundance, bounty, blessing. Jesus, or God, sorry, is revealed to us throughout the Old Testament as a God who is generous. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of Loving kindness, right? We see these glimpses of God's generosity. We see his generosity in, in terms of his patience with the children of Israel when they're disobedient. Continually. We see his generosity when he brings them into the wilderness and he gives them he gives them water. He splits the rock and its abundance, the drinks that he gives them. We see it in Exodus, when God reveals himself to Moses and said he's a God who's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger we see it in the prophets when god's trying to get a hold of his people and remind them how much he loves them i have loved you with an everlasting love i have drawn you with loving he's generous with his love he's, he's drawing people with loving kindness it's not like well you sort yourself out and then we can have a chat it's generous loving appeal to the hearts of the ones that he loves and who's there I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. God is trying to romance the hearts of His people. And and we see a generosity in all of that. And like everything else then, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the characteristics of God, we see the fullness of that revealed in Jesus. And when it comes to generosity, we see the fullness of the character of God revealed in Jesus, last week we, we talked about this word kenosis from Philippians chapter 2. At how Jesus um, showed us how God was one who empties himself out. who he empties. He's generous in the sense that he gives up all of who he is. That in Jesus, God sets aside his status, his reputation, all that he had in heaven. He sets that all aside in generosity and empties himself out for humanity in which he loves. And we see it in all these different kinds of ways. I could talk about each of them for a few moments, but I'm not going to for time's sake. But we see in all of these aspects of Jesus's life, his generosity. And it seems to be that Jesus was showing us a way of life that looked like complete renunciation, complete denial of just living for yourself. It was a posture of thinking more of others, continually, more than it did himself. And at the heart of that kind of a life is what we call, in the, in, you know, what the Bible calls covenantal love. It's a love that enters into a commitment with somebody, a promise, if you like, that's so binding right, that their lives become one. And in that oneness, you decide to live more for the other than we do ourselves. And God has always wanted that kind of relationship with you, with every single person sitting in here today. And He's always wanted that kind of relationship with the earth, right? And He wants to draw you into a loving relationship where He is saying, everything I have, I'm, I'm putting it on the line for you. God's, you know, actions always speak louder than words when it comes to God. And He shows us that in Jesus, pouring out His very life for us. And the amazing thing about the early church is, and the challenge for us today is, this kind of love they got a hold of and they lived out. They, they continued this kind of radical generosity. This was not Christians being nice, right? This was not Christians just ban each other the odd nice coffee and doing a few hampers at Christmas to kind of tick a few boxes for the church to do the kind thing, right? This was a radical generosity, selling their possessions, sharing all things in common. I mean, to the world, it's bonkers, absolutely ludicrous. But everybody looked at it from the outside and said, how do you get in there? How do you be part of that? How do you love the way they love one another? It was a radicality of generosity, (laughs) right? It was deep, deep stuff. A whole life orientated generosity. Not every now and again when I have enough money at the end of the month, i maybe give a wee bit more. No, not that kind of thing. This is a whole life posture of living more for others than we did, than they did themselves. And that was only coming through a complete self-denial of following Jesus, the way of Jesus, into death and on into life. And this way of life spoke of the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know one of the things that over the years they've come to realize as theologians and historians have tried to prove or disprove the resurrection, right? So, you know, all sorts of scientific criteria and historical criteria of whether the resurrection really happened or not. Do you know one of the main evidences that it did? The life of the early church. They've come to the conclusion, many people, That there has to be something that would explain why people would live their lives the way they did. And that's what the biggest apologetic for the resurrection actually is, is the way that the early church lived their life. I love this from Will Willimon. It's a bit long, but let me read it. When you think about it, the quality of the church's life together is evidence for the truthfulness of the resurrection. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community, that there can be no explanation other than that something decisive has happened in history. The tough task of interpreting the reality of a truth like the resurrection is not so much the scientific or historical, how could a thing like that happen, but the ecclesiastical, that's the church and the communal, why don't you people look more resurrected? It's when stuff actually gets embodied in our lives and makes a fundamental difference to the way we live that looks completely different to the world. That's when people go, Jesus must be alive. This thing must be true. He's actually not still dead. He's he's alive. He lives, and that must be the reason why people live the way they do, because Jesus isn't very good at staying dead, but we need to sometimes remind ourselves that in the church, right, that he, he, he's alive, and it looks like something different when his life becomes ours, and it's such a challenge to us in the church, because it's such a grieving thing that we can be known, the church in general, as being mean. And tight-fisted. It's such an indictment on the church today. And we have to we have to win, we have to win it back through living and loving like Jesus. Because if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and Jesus was the most generous person we could ever imagine, then it has to be embodied in the life of the believers. And the early church got on with doing that. I have other quotes that could prove it but I, 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 I'm I, not going to take time to read them. But I do like this one from Leslie Newbegin. We must live the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. Just kind of sums up what I've been trying to say. We must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. And why do we not? I suppose that's what we want to challenge ourselves with and what we want to allow the Spirit of God, you know, to challenge us with. By the way, you know, this church is an incredibly generous church. You know, yeah, the the very reason that we're still together, loving each other as a family, is because people have been generous in their hearts, people have been generous towards one another, and people have been generous with their finances. And I want to commend you for that, and thank you for that. You know? but I want us, I want us to go further. Is that all right? I want us to go. Even. <laughs> Could you convince me? <laughs> I want us to go even. I want us to go even further. I want us to think. And when I say I want, I when I say I want us, I mean I want me. But I can't. I don't want to do that on my own. None of us are supposed to. But I want us to go. I want us to think about how God is calling, because as individuals and as a church, to be even more radical in the generosity of how we live our lives. But we have to realise why sometimes we don't. And that's because we're caught up in a culture that values our stuff over our souls. We're caught up in a culture that wants to gain the world, but forfeit their own souls in the process. We, we live in a world where we're encouraged to hoard, to store up treasures in heaven, to lust after what our eyes desire. And that's just not in, in, in the area of uh, sex and pornography and all of that. It's in It's in just stuff. Uh, we, we, you know, people talk today in our culture. We have what's called choice anxiety. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever experience it? I because we've just got so much choice that we're just not. We, we get, we get anxious about what we should actually eat or wear or all of those kind of things. And, um, and then below all of that, in our culture today, and slightly creeping into the church, is also a sense which is worrying that we feel entitled to it. It's like, there's like an entitlement that comes with it that somehow we kind of deserve this. And uh, it's a modern-day principality and power. Okay, it's a, it's a modern-day materialism, and the desire for stuff is, a moder- I believe, a modern-day principle. It's the sea that we swim in. It's the air that we breathe. And so we have to be renewed in our minds daily. We need to allow our hearts to be soft and confess our sins to God. Allow our hearts to repent where we need to so we can be formed into the ways of Jesus. And Jesus challenged this time after time. He had to. <laughs> and he told him the story in Luke chapter 12 of a young man who thought, what can I do? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going I'll read it. <laughs> then this is in the message. Then he told him the story. This is Jesus. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for all this harvest. Then he says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made, and now you can retire, take it easy, and have a time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, fool, tonight you will die. And your barn fulls of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. The point isn't really that he was... Necessarily ambitious. It wasn't really about that to build more and to enlarge. It was the fact that at the heart of his decision making was self. He filled it with self. And if we fill our lives with self, then we will walk contrary to the character of God, and our souls will shrivel up and die. Our hearts will get smaller. Our souls will shrink. But I want to qualify this a bit when it comes to money, and possessions and stuff. Because I think we get this wrong in the church the way we teach it sometimes. Sometimes when we talk about money and we talk about possessions, there's an air of judgment that comes into the room and a kind of like elevated spirituality where we assume that the people who have much aren't as holy and the people who are less, God loves them more because God loves the poor more. And that is not really true. Okay, and let me try and explain. Now, the Bible does, I believe, have a certain bias towards the poor, right? God is on the side of the poor, which we hear time after time in Scripture, right? But there's a a way, we have to understand what it means when, when we say that, because there's a way that we romanticize poverty in a way that somehow attracts God's love more. But we have to ask ourselves the question, does God want everybody poor? Are we going to be poor in heaven? Are we, are we going to be scrounging in heaven? Would that be the kingdom of heaven? I don't think so, and yet we're praying for the kingdom of heaven to come on the earth. But well, what the Bible is getting at, the Bible is on the side of the poor in the sense that it is against the unjust systems of the world that elevate the rich and oppress the poor and keep them in a place of poverty. It's into that that God is on the side of, and it's into that that Jesus rails against. That's where he chucks the temple, the tables in the temple upside down, because it's an unjust system that is elevating the rich and oppressing the poor. And God is not really, God doesn't like that, right? That's not the way it's supposed to be. And that was part of Mary's Magnificent when Jesus was coming. That's what Jesus was going to do. He was going to right that wrong. But he was not saying, I want everyone poor, And the reason I'm saying this to you this morning is because we need to become a church and the the church in general. And what my longing is for us is that we become a church that knows how to steward wealth. We know how to steward wealth well, and we know how to be generous with what we have. Because if we learn how to be generous with what we have, then we can give more. And what we find with God is then He trusts you, and He gives you even more because He knows what you're going to Do with it. But we dare not idealize poverty. Dallas Willard is brilliant in this. The idealization of poverty is one of the most dangerous illusions of Christians in the contemporary world. Stewardship, which requires possessions and includes giving, is the true spiritual discipline in relation to wealth. You get what I'm trying to say? Let's not glorify poverty, let's break the poverty spirit that exists. Let's stop being the people when somebody gets a new car that all we go and say is, that's good for them. They must be getting a few more pounds, right? Let's try and do something about that kind of cynicism that never likes anybody to do well. Because maybe God allowed that person to have that car because they've been really, really good givers. And he thought, I can give them a bit more because I know if they're blessed, they're going to bless others. Well, the the mean-fisted poverty spirit is always actually wanting more and never knows how to overflow a blessing. And the point is, back right in Genesis chapter 12, is that we, what? You would be blessed. Not that you would be poor, so everyone could be poor. But Abraham, that you would be blessed. That seems like a good thing, doesn't it? So that through you, all the nations would be blessed. Now, in saying that, there is something that we need to be aware of. There is a spirit of mammon. There is a spirit of money, of greed in the world today and in our culture that needs broken. And it it comes from an inordinate, a, a disordered desire to have stuff. And we need to recognize that in our lives. And we need to recognize it in culture because it needs broken. But it doesn't mean necessarily either that what God said to the rich young ruler In Luke chapter 18, whose God, I think, was mammon, that he's saying to every single one of us, you have to sell everything and give it to the poor. What my God might be saying to you is, I want you to learn how to give. And I want you to learn how to give a wee bit better. Because if you give a wee bit better, I'm going to give you some more. Because to him who is much, more will be given. Why? Because it's about stewarding what you have. It's not about scarcity. It's about channeling blessing. So I've loads more to say but I'm going to have to wind this up. But let me kind of try and conclude it like this, right? Let me try and conclude it like this, right? How am I going to conclude it? As he thinks on his feet. (laughs) Here's what I want to say, right? We've heard how God is using reach and aspire this morning. right? Just two ways that God is using different people, and all of us in our individual lives. But if we want to see a city rewritten, if we want to fulfill our vision, we're going to need millions, I think. Not 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 to get all flash with, but to rewrite some systems, to rewrite some structures, to do something about education, and to help with that. We're going to need millions, not just coming into the church, but released through the church, right? So, If we're going to need millions and we think God wants to rewrite the story of the city, is God broke? Right. So God's not broke. Right. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Right. And and we have a desire, which we think is his desire, to see a city rewritten. Well, what's the gap? What's the disconnect? The disconnect is his people who don't know how to steward the blessings that he has. The disconnect is a church that needs to learn how to be generous, radically generous, and how to learn how to steward what he's given. Not to bury it, not to use it for yourself, but to invest it and to invest it well so that more can be given so that the city can be turned around. And so on one extreme, and the problem is the enemy's all over this, because on one extreme we have, if you watch the TV, I'm not saying it's all all, all, all everything, and the God channel is bad, right? But a lot of it is, right? Is that all right to say that? A lot of it is, right? Particularly anything to do with that prosperity gospel is an abomination of our times, right? Anything that tells you that you're going to, like, you know, get healed if you pay more money or any of that, you know, C-R-A-P, right? That's all it is, right? It is not good, right? It is an abomination in the world today in God's church, right? At the same time, though, on the other extreme... Right? We have a we have a poverty mentality that somehow, if we stay poor, God will love us more. And and then we judge everybody else against that. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are not the Bible. Both of those are not Jesus. Right? In the middle, somewhere is learning how to steward what God has given you. In the middle is learning how to receive the blessing of God and give thanks for it. And then realizing that the biggest blessing comes not when you receive, but when you give. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And what has happened in that point is something has happened where the heart of God has got hold of your heart. You have taken on his heart because it gives God great joy to give. And if you find it hard to give, right, that's okay, right? We all do. But ask God to help you find a joy in giving more than getting, right? The closest that you maybe get that is if you've been fortunate and blessed enough to have children, that you do get a joy out of seeing them, um, seeing them fulfilled and happy and content when you give them things that are good for them. That's maybe the closest that we can get. God is a good father, but he wants us to adopt that for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the world around us, and for the city that we live in. So quick fire practicalities, how to become generous, tithe, right? <laughs> All the big stuff today, right? Tithe, right? If you can't give God what's already His, how, how are you going to be generous with other people? Right? I, if, you, if you're new to the faith and you don't understand this, and you think this is a bit weird, given like at least 10% in the church, that's crazy, right? Fair enough. Just start with something, Okay? Build it up. But the principle in the Bible is so clear. It's 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 the first fruits of what you have. And I just like it's not because like God doesn't need the money, but you need his blessing. And so you know, I just want to encourage if you're gonna be if you want to be a generous person, just to get really practical about it. Make sure you're tithing, make sure you're giving back to God what's already his. Secondly. Recognize and repent the soul ties. Sometimes I find in my life, my soul just gets tied to stuff. I need to do some work around some stuff that I feel like an affection for in my heart. I feel a tie to. I just want that stuff, or I, <laughs> I want to be in that place, or I want to be able to have the money to do that. And I just have to repent of that. It takes work. It takes work sometimes just to just like change my heart and just to make sure that my heart's lining up with God's. And it's not like God wants. You know, I want, I want to keep repeating this because we keep going back into that kind of, we beat ourselves up. It's not like God doesn't want it. God wants to bless you, right? He, he enjoys you being blessed. Just wants you to take on his desire to bless others. Learn to trust God with everything. With everything. Learn, learn to trust him with everything that you've got. As you repent of the soul, ties, just in total abandonment, step into the abyss of not knowing sometimes where it's all going to come from, knowing that he's a good father and he clothes even the birds of the air and the, and the, and the flowers in the field. Don't be anxious for anything. Think about what you could give. Give your best prayers away. Maybe give your money away. Give words of encouragement away. Give your time away. Why don't you bring somebody on holiday with you? <laughs> Why don't you do something radical? Why don't you give somebody your house for a while? Why don't you just buy somebody a car? I know it all seems a bit weird when we hear that. Maybe like, how could everyone afford that? I, I don't know. I'm just throwing out some things here to say, what about the radical generosity of the church actually being the thing that people on the outside look in and go, how do you get into that? How do you be part of it? How do you be part of that? And increase your generosity every year. That's a really good practice. When Rachel and I got married, we decided that every year we were just going to give a bit more. Because, Because what we've learned is that whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. And the problem is it just goes completely contrary to the world. So some of us I know are going, I think this is good, but it's bonkers all this morning. And it is bonkers it's bonkers to the world. But we're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to change the world. And the way we change the world is by carrying the the character and the love of Jesus. And so as we become a devoted people, looking at all these things that we've looked at over the last four or five weeks, let's remember that it's all caught up in the radical generosity of Jesus's heart for his bride being multiplied through his bride to the world. That's That has to come back into the church if we're going to see the awakening of God that we're longing to see. It has to be, it must be embodied and expressed through the generosity of the kingdom. So let's be people with glad and generous hearts like the early church. Let's be generous to one another. Let's let's have nothing tight-fisted. Let's ask the Lord to deal with anything that's greedy and mean and hard-hearted, and let's become those with glad and generous hearts, that we could get to the point where, as the people of God, it it kind of becomes covenantal. What's mine is yours. That's the way the early church lived their life, and I wonder if we could get back to it a little bit more. Let's stand our feet and prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're here this morning. Thank you that um, you're speaking to us. We pray, Lord God, that you would just you would just do a, a deep, deep work in our hearts. God, thank you for how you're speaking to us, Lord. Thank you for how, Lord, you've captivated all of our hearts and, and, and just and just made us more um, more like you, God. Thank you that you've captured so many of our hearts with your generosity and changed them and saved them and uh, from the inside out. And God, we just ask, oh God, that you by the Spirit would come and and, and, and make us just more like you, Jesus just ask you to do more in us yeah, help us to realize and to know just what this means for each of us individually god we're all at different places we've all got different levels of possessions you've all you put different levels of things in all of our different hands and so god just whatever it means for us holy spirit i just pray it'd be one or two things that would take home this morning that would mean something for us that you'd speak to us each individually holy spirit and um and help us to be obedient to that and as a church corporately god that you continue to speak to us in this way for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.